First of all, let's acknowledge that today is a unique service. In fact, as Leela mentioned that there were no guests here today, I was not actually surprised by that. The scripture tells us that we don't come to God unless the Spirit draws us. And the Spirit knew what we needed today. And so we're glad that you're here today. And if you are new to us, we welcome you. We, we welcome you to join with us. But today is a day in which the Scripture comes to mind. We rejoice with those who rejoice, even if we have nothing to rejoice about. But we also grieve with those who grieve. But today I would argue that as a church family, we have something to grieve about. We're not just grieving with the Penn family and with the Jessup family. No, we are grieving ourselves. Two sisters that we love, two sisters that were integral to who we are, two sisters that you would see here all the time, two sisters who had their own style, two sisters that had their own sense of humor, two sisters that had their own personality, and honestly, both had very large personalities as you got to know them. They are now passed on. Now, let me acknowledge straight up, across this week, this is going to be a long week. We've got both of them probably going to be buried and interred this week. And so we're going to need you to step up, church. We're going to need you to be available. We're going to need you to come alongside of these families. And as we get details, we'll let you know. But there is a difference between these two ladies. And I don't want to, particularly if Sister Iris's family is listening, I do not want to denigrate anyway the loss, the pain, and the hurt that comes with this matriarch that has passed on the glory. But we have all known, and in fact, when I talked with her granddaughter, Ashley, she said, Pastor Steve, I, we, we've been preparing. We, we knew Grandma was declining, and we knew that. She was, she was hopping but not stopping, but her hop was getting a lot shorter. And uh, so a few months ago, you know that she moved down to Richmond to be with her family. And, and I knew that I probably would not see her again. I knew that I probably, this was going to be it. She and her husband were such beautiful, beautiful people. I, I want to say something that I hope does not offend all of you. But if all of you would act like her, I would be so happy. They were so, so unassuming. They, in fact, the biggest problem with, with Brother Penn and Sister Penn was the fact that you could miss their needs because they just simply would not ask anything of you. If you did call them, if you did visit with them, they were appreciative, but they also were aware of your time. And they would tell you, hey, we know that you're busy. And they would always pray for my family. They would say, be sure and take care of your babies. And take, they were just such wise people. Of course, a few years ago, Brother Penn passed. He was our oldest member. And uh, those of you that like the Dallas Cowboys, you remember he uh, liked the Dallas Cowboys. So I had a lot of fun at Brother Penn's expense because I don't really like the Dallas Cowboys. So we had a lot of fun teasing him and working with him about that. And uh, But then when he passed, of course, I watched as Sister Iris felt a little, a little lost. And there are those of you that are in here who are widows and you understand more than I do, what, what, what that experience was. Her partner had gone on. We trusted he was in the hands of Jesus. She was a great lady. She was upbeat, but there was this loss. And then COVID hit us. Even more separation occurs. But she was plucky. She got on Facebook. I don't have any idea how. 
and she would post comments, but the comments rarely made any sense. So I could tell that she had hit a button that she didn't really intend and then went ahead and hit enter on it anyway. But you knew that she was present. She was trying to let you know I'm participating. And as we would talk to her online, as we talked to her on the phone, as we would interact with her, she'd let us know, and she kept that same upbeat. The last time I talked to her, uh, I could tell that age was catching up. I could tell that she was getting confused. I could tell that everything wasn't real clear, but she still had a clear thought coming through. Pastor Steve, I'm doing okay. I love my church family. I miss you all, but it's good to be with my family. Last night as I talked to Ashley on the phone, and I said, I'm so, I said, we were so sad to have her move away. I said, but I'm so happy that you all got a last few months with her, that she could spend with her family. Her family is very faithful about coming and visiting with her and, and Brother Penn as well. But it was so great that they had those final months that they could care for her. And uh, we do know that she is going to be brought back here to Delaware. She will be buried out of this church. Ashley was crystal clear about that. And in fact, she said, I'll do deference to the senior pastoral team. She said, I said, do you, do you want, do you have a, I'm hemming and hawing of who, who does the service. And she said, oh, Pastor Steve, she says, Grandma said, it's you or nobody. I said, okay. And you can hear Sister Iris say that, all right? Those of you that were in her small group, and ironically, Sister Dahlia and her were in the first small group together. I know that there are a number of you that I disperse throughout groups, but that you share that bond of all before COVID, and then all the way through COVID, you were in small group together. And so we acknowledge it. But the honest truth is, is as we stand here today, while we are sad that Sister Iris has passed, while we will definitely miss her and have been missing her, we expected her to go. Was it at 88? Was it at 87? Was it at 90? But we knew that the time was approaching. And so today I'm going to pivot and much of my comments and much of my my sermon today are going to be more pointed towards Sister Dahlia. As a pastor, you have to understand something. The scriptures are crystal clear that the pastor needs to be apt to teach. The reason that this is so important among all the qualifications of pastoring is that teaching is what makes disciples. And times of crisis are moments where our faith is challenged, where our questions are the most acute, and where we struggle the most deeply. And it's in those moments, with the right tone, and by God's grace I will have the right tone, it's in those moments that teaching has to come forth. We have to turn to the foundation and the basis of truth in our lives. Because we can't turn to our experiences because our experiences are upside down. Our emotions are unfettered. Some of you today are depressed. Some of you today are angry. Some of you today are confused. Some of you today just don't know what to think. Some of you today have had past questions that you thought had, you had settled suddenly erupt again, and now you're staring at them again. You're looking at old wounds. You're looking at things that really God has answered, but not answered fully enough. So here we are in the midst of a crisis. Here we are in the midst of a challenge. 
It's incumbent upon me that I teach you gently and kindly, but that I turn you to the Scriptures and I turn you to what we can glean and understand in this moment because it is essential that in everything, whether we are being blessed of God or we think we're being cursed of God, whether things are going well and we're happy or things are going so unexpectedly and we're so confused and so upset, that in those moments we pivot toward the lover of our soul, not away from him. I say this to many married couples, that as long as you pivot towards one another in the midst of crisis, in the midst of trouble, even if you are having major trouble with one another, even if you are fighting, even if you are angry, if you pivot towards one another, over time, by God's grace, you'll work through that problem. It's when you pivot away from one another, you allow separation to occur, and you begin to, mer begin to, to, to kind of gradually move away from one another. That's where trouble sets in. That's where your marriage will end. And the same is true of our relationship with God. So this morning, my goal is to walk with you in grief. Some of you may never have experienced grief. Even today, you haven't yet experienced it like this. You may not be as close. You may only vaguely remember Sister Iris, or you may uh, kind of remember Sister Dahlia standing at the back taking attendance. By the way, Lil, you do need to double-check the attendance, but today, in honor of her, I did the attendance. The reason I say in honor of her is when she began to take this on, I would also take attendance, and I would race her on who could check off the person first. I didn't tell her I was doing it at first, because then I would do it and then watch her as her face would get this puzzled look as she would go to check the person who just came in, and it's already checked. I let that go on for a little while, and then I came back and I looked at her and I said, I'm faster than you. She rolled her eyes at me, as you know that she could. She said, can I ever win with you? I said, no. So, if you're awake, if you're aware, Dahlia, if not, Jesus can tell you about it later. I took attendance today for you. Double check it, though. I haven't done it in a while, so I might have missed somebody. Whether you knew Sister Dahlia well, whether you knew Sister Iris well, the reality is, is that death grabs our attention. But for those of you that were close with her, it can shake you. I know that I was, the reason that our announcement went out as late as it did is I begged the senior pastoral team, please give me time. Because I got to get to my little girls. And I got to tell them. And I need to hold them. Many of you don't know, but Candace was every other week going to her home and was learning to cook with Dahlia. So over the last few months, Dahlia and her have become extremely, extremely close. So I, my babies have never had death like that, not that close. So you might be here today, and you might have that closeness. And if so, if this is your first time, it's probably rocking your world. So my job today is to walk with you in that. But my job is also even in walking with you to teach you, to teach those of you who right now are depressed, to teach those of you right now who are angry, to teach those of you right now who are confused. 
but to teach all of us so that whenever death does come, whenever you do face someone close, that the words of truth that are in the Scriptures are the basis, not our emotions, not our feelings, not our experiences, but the words of truth are the basis of our response. I can't love you, congregation, and not teach you that. So I'm not here to lecture you. And I'm certainly not here to tell you that you need to get rid of that anger or that confusion or that depression. In fact, I'm going to tell you the opposite. It is certainly appropriate today and for probably most of this week to walk through that. To walk through that. The biggest problem that we in America have in general is that we try, like everything else, to rush the process of grief. Slow down. And today, that's exactly what we're going to do. If you're here and you haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost, God can fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I know it was at a funeral that Sister Jackie first felt the presence of God that brought her here. So I'm not limiting God. But I'm also not today here to try to get somebody in the baptismal font or to try to pray somebody through to the Holy Ghost. If God wants to do that, it'll happen. I'm here to walk with all of you through a reality that is a product of sin. Namely, it is appointed unto all of us at a certain point in time to die. And the challenge that each of us faces is, is that we get expectations about how much time that is. And we in America live with health care and all kinds of, of support that we, our expectations are fairly high. We no longer expect to die in our 60s. You want to know why the Social Security Administration has 65 or now 66 or 67 as the time of your retirement? Because they were planning on you dying within two to three years after that. The reason the Social Security Administration is in trouble is because we're living much, much longer. We're taking much more out. So we've begun to expect to live, not just into our 60s and not just into our 70s and Honestly, sometimes not even just into our 80s, but we're, we're expecting to hit 90. I talked to my mom and dad, and they're 83, and no, it's not time to die. All of you sitting here would say, well, of course it's not. See, our expectations keep moving. And the blessings of God that we enjoy in this country actually make that a reality. Sister Iris made it to 87, 88. I think she's coming up on November 15th. I can't remember if she was turning 88. I think it was. I think she's 87, getting ready to turn 88. That's a long life. She was within striking distance of 90. That's a lot of years, folks. But we're expecting that. And that plays into our response to a 64-year-old lady about to turn 65 later this month. And our response is, she was not supposed to die. I know that was my response. I looked at the transition we're in. I looked at her story and who she was. I looked at her role within the church, and I said, God, what in heaven's name are you doing? 
We need her. We want her. We want Sister Iris. We love Sister Iris. But we, as, as she declined, as pain was more present, Ashley even conveyed that they were very, very comfortable. It's, it, Grandma is at peace now. Grandma is not hurting the way that she was. Grandma is not declining like she was. But Delia is in her prime. Life is coming together. Things are looking up. What are you up to, God? Well, first I want to look back before we look forward. I let her husband, Rennie, know he may even be watching this morning. And Rennie, I trust if you are or if you watch this later that I do proper respect to you and your family and to your wife. Sister Dahlia was only with us less than four years. She came in the middle of 2018. In fact, came roughly at the same time that Russ and Kim Fulbert uh, came and began working with us. In fact, at Nationals this year, when she was with us, we had to introduce her. She went up and introduced herself to Russ, and Russ didn't remember her. Well, I know why, because she was brand new. And when she first came, she sat back there in the back on that pew, and she hid. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever come to church to hide. But she hid. I never told you why. If you ever heard her tell this, then bear with me. But the reason she hid is because Dahlia had come from being very active in leadership and in involvement in several churches. And over time, those churches, I'm going to trust due to no fault of their intent, but due to fault of their operation, abused her. Many of you that are here are here because you've come from similar situations. Years before that, her husband had left that situation, and Delia, being the very loyal person she was, just kept working at it. I met Rennie as he would come on Sunday nights. He's an apostolic Pentecostal minister. He would come on Sunday nights. I didn't know who he was, but he'd come, and so I greeted him one time, and we came to know one another. And just over time, I had no idea what was going on, but Rennie would sit. He'd always sit about where Brother Colin is there, and he would, he'd come in, he'd sit on a Sunday night, and a lot of times I was preaching, and he'd sit, and he'd watch, and he'd listen. And I'd go back, and I'd greet him, and I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know where he was going. I didn't know anything, but Rennie would come. That was for years. So when Dahlia showed up, I didn't even know at first that she was connected with Rennie, but then I found out that it was, and I found out why, because Rennie had been checking us out for years. And finally, when Dahlia was willing to leave that abusive environment that she was facing, Rennie says, let me take you to my friend Steve. Let me take you to Newark. You'll be safe there. So she showed up, but she had full intent of doing nothing. Some of you may have heard this story. She wanted to come, punch her card, and get out. <laughs> I remember watching her come in. I remember her sitting there very quietly. My brothers and sisters, you know I watch everything. You are always on my radar. (laughs) 
Can I affirm to you also that see your pastoral team is learning how to do the exact same thing and they got more eyes than I do. So there's no hiding in this place, but we're not going to crowd you. We're going to give you space. We're going to give you time. And I did exactly that. I waited very quietly. I'd interact. I would greet. And I found out over these last several days that others of you were doing the exact same thing, kindness, driving her to, to the bus stop because originally she didn't have a car, so she would ride the bus here. For not wanting to get involved, that's, that's some faithfulness. For wanting to kind of just punch your car and get out, that's some faithfulness. I don't think hardly anybody here is riding a bus to get here. It was in the fall of 2019 that I began to develop. I looked around and I said, I need to start developing some leaders. So I, I walked up and I gave her a little invite card. And she, the way she tells it is, is her, her heart dropped and she went, oh, no. Here it comes. I met with her and she told me her story and my heart broke when she told me that the environment from which she was coming because of power and control. Leadership had gone all the way to the point of causing her to doubt whether she was even filled with the wonderful spirit of God. I sat and I listened. If any of you, and I don't want to make this about me, but I do want you to hear one thing. If any of you have ever had trouble with my, with my brashness, if you've ever had trouble with the, with the sweep of my personality, please understand, I know it's hard to live with sometimes, but every once in a while, God can use it for good. I sat and I listened as I was at dinner with her. She told me this whole story, and I sat there, and I really do try to be humble, folks, but I listened to this story, and I, I measured it up against Scripture and it made absolutely no sense. And so in typical Stephen Beardsley fashion, I flicked my hand and I said, all of that is garbage. Who am I to say that? I don't even know the elders she sat under. I don't even know the churches. But all I knew is it didn't line up to the word. So I flicked my hand and I said, all of that is garbage. I said, why don't you just keep loving Jesus? And I watched her slowly. She come and she stand in this altar. And I watched her fall back in love with that Jesus that somebody had alienated her from. And we'd opened the door back up that she could love him. I invited her into this developing leaders group and she would roll those eyes at me. Oh, daily, I'm going to miss those eyes. They spoke volumes. We used to tease her she should have been born in Cuba because Cuba doesn't use words because of the communism in that. They use little clicks and clacks and little nods, and those eyes would have been useful. They said nothing and yet said everything. Then COVID hits, and I watched as she just kept stepping out. We'd get on Zoom calls. I loved it. Dahlia, I love you to death, but you didn't know how to position a camera. See, i got to tell you some things that I ain't going to say at her funeral, okay? If I have a chance to speak, I'm not saying any of this, but I will tell you, she, oh, my goodness, she knew she was great, but she did not know how to position a camera. I saw more of Dahlia's nostrils than I was supposed to see. What's ironic about it is she hated her picture being taken. In fact, a picture that those of you that have seen online of her with our NABQT trip, she kept hiding behind my seat. So what I would do is I would take these selfies of the group and I would make her think she wasn't in the picture. And then at the last moment, I would pop my head and snap it. It was the only way to catch her. 
But she kept, she kept pursuing her Jesus. She kept reaching for her Jesus. She kept getting outside of her comfort zone. Then we come back in person and we begin to volunteer refresh and she sidles up to a table about Bible quizzing. She doesn't know anything about Bible quizzing. <laughs> but she hears Bible and she hears kids and she's like, well, maybe I could help. Well, you don't just help around here. We move you pretty fast. She became the intermediate assistant coach working with Steve Lanciano. So when it came time to leave for for nationals this year, I, I reached out to Lil and I said, you need to find out if Daly wants to go. And the answer came back emphatically, absolutely. I feel guilty because she literally spent an entire week away from her hubby and with us. Came back home on a Thursday evening, spent one day with her husband, and then she passed. Caleb already referenced to you I've been in quizzing a long time, since 1985, so I know a lot of people. So, so it's kind of hard to move around quizzing without somebody wanting to chat with me. And, and, and the first night, you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while, and we haven't been to Nationals for two years. So there's a lot of people we're connecting back up with. And for once, Dahlia was not deferential. For once, it was not Pastor Steve. She was on it. She finally comes over and tugs on my elbow and says, I want to go to that table. I need to know what to get to help my quizzers. So we did that. We split on the way back, and I asked Dahlia, I said, look, I'm going to go through Columbus. I hate driving 15 and a half hours. Steve and Leela were being nuts and wanted to drive it all one day, and I was going to, but since they were going to get up at 6 a.m., I don't do 6 a.m., folks. I'm sorry. I just don't do it. So I said, well, let's go through Columbus and stay a night. And I said, do you want to go with Lynn? She said, nope, I'm staying with you. I'm like, it's a longer trip. I'm staying with you. Okay. Guess I didn't scare you with my driving. <laughs> so she sat behind me and she listened to me as we debriefed about quizzing and as we chewed on things she probably didn't understand and as we made posts on Coach's Corner and then had that post taken down because somebody didn't like what we had to say. I mean, just all the normal stuff of ministry. And later, Leela and others have told me that she would, when talking about these types of opportunities with myself and others, she would say, it is such an honor to have access, to just listen, to be involved. So now, take all of your personal feelings. Maybe there's not a lot or maybe there's a, month, a bunch. And listen to what I painted to you as a picture. And no, Caleb, you're right. She wasn't perfect. And, you know, she, 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 she could be very bullheaded. She was quite aggravated with Leela, who made her late one day because she had promised to be back with Candace by 2.30, and Leela got her back at 3. Personally, I'd have been mad at Leela, too, but that's neither here nor there. None of us are perfect. If we paint a picture of perfection then I'm sorry because it's not true. But the reality is this. Here's a woman who spent the majority of her life walking with Christ in environments that did not treat her 
correctly. And now, life is unfolding for her. Service is happening for her. And God allows the unthinkable. Give me my title slide. God allows the unthinkable. She's in the hands of Jesus. But Lord, why? What are you doing? This is a Job moment. This is a Mary and Martha moment. This is a moment where God is not operating in the manner that he's capable of operating. Don't tell me God could not have fixed that. He's a healer. I know that he can heal. He's a miracle worker. I know that he can perform miracles. Nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible with God. Nothing's too hard for him. And you and I believe that. We believe that because that's what the scriptures tell us. And yet we face something here where God chose not to act. He allowed the unthinkable. So the first thing I need you to understand is that God did not take Dahlia. I know our language, and I'm not being mean to anybody, but God didn't take Dahlia. He was involved in the process, yes, for the spirit that came from God, the breath of life that came from God returns to God. God is involved in the process of death, but death has never been God's intention for any human being. Death is the results of sin. Death is the wages of sin. And it's not particular. I'm not talking about Delia did something and therefore she died. Sister Iris did something and therefore she died. No, the world is broken by sin. And because of that, each of us now are under the weight of that sin. And we die because of the brokenness of the world. We were intended to live forever, but we broke the world collectively as humans. And sin has now put upon us the wages of that, which is death. But God raised Lazarus from the dead. We know about resurrection. We know about healing. We know about the miraculous. And herein lies our pain, our depression, our confusion, maybe even anger. When God allows the unthinkable. God didn't kill Dahlia. God just simply did not act to counteract the broken world. When she began to have trouble with breathing and lost consciousness, God didn't act. When the ambulance arrived and the paramedics began to work, God didn't act. And when life left her body and the very spirit that that God breathed into her as a tiny little baby in her mother's womb, and God received it back to himself, God did so by not My dear brothers and sisters, this is going to happen to every single one of us. 
And perhaps it's a lesson for us to learn because I promise you that even though we may be more comfortable, even though her family may be more comfortable with the passing of Sister Iris due to age and, 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 and failing health, I've yet to meet a human being that doesn't fight to live. Scripture says eternity is in the heart of man. We know we're meant to live forever. Even those of us who know about eternity, who know about salvation, who know about the blood of Jesus Christ, when it comes, everybody wants to go to heaven, as the old country song says, but nobody wants to go now. So what do we do? How do we respond? How do we respond to this circumstance? How do we respond to future circumstances when they come? What are we going to do when he who is sovereign over us, as we sang in the first song, doesn't act, and we know full well he's able? See, the rest of the world in some ways has it easier because they don't have the hope of the miraculous. They don't believe in the power of the Almighty. And so they've just kind of made peace with it. Now, with that, they also lose hope of eternity. They lose hope of salvation from their sins. There's a lot of other things. But in some ways, they might navigate this a little differently. But you and I, we know that he can do the miraculous. And yet today, he didn't do it. What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? To put it very bluntly to you, we have ought with God. Now, before some of you begin to lecture me and say, you can't have ought with God, I'm going to tell you very unequivocally, yes, you can. And God is so big, and he is so powerful, and he is so loving, and he is so merciful. He is our heavenly father that I promise you that he is not upset when you are struggling to understand his actions. He told us, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the difference, that's the distance between how you can understand and what I'm doing. I do not know why Dahlia died. I'm not here today to offer to you an explanation, because I don't have one. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to make up something. And those that do, please be kind to them, but they're doing their best. They're trying to comfort. But honestly, when a person dies, there's not really. Why now? Why not later? Why not earlier? Why now? Why at this point? From my perspective, God, why? She's blossoming. Her life is unfolding for her. She left her baking business to be involved in ministry and so ecstatic about it. She doesn't ride the bus anymore because she's got wheels. Life's coming together. She and Rennie were like two school kids. They would call in the car. I'd hear them. And there were a lot of giggling going on. A lot of laughter going on. I'd make little comments, and she'd repeat them to Rennie, and they just were, they were like 
school children. Why? I'm not digging a fork into us. I want to teach us. This one hits close for me. It's hitting close for some of you. But if it's not today, there will be a point where one will. And the problem is, is like Job, we can ask that question, why? But many times we will find that God is less than kind in that he does not answer us. He simply asserts his sovereignty. He simply asserts that he knows best. He simply asserts that he's God. And frankly, that doesn't feel very good. Frankly, it doesn't help us. In those moments of offense with God, in those moments where you are submitting, like Christ gave us the example of, when he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In those moments, there is offense. And what is in front of us now for many and in the future for others is in that moment where you know God could have changed the scenario and your offense really is with God. You understand this applies to more than just death. This applies to those of you that have experienced abuse. Why didn't you stop it, God? This applies to those of you that may have been abandoned by parents. Why didn't you stop that, God? Anything that you know God could have changed, and yet he did not. In that moment, you face a choice. I face a choice today. It's the same choice I face whenever I have offense with one of you or you have offense with me. Because there are times we do wrong to one another and there's nothing we can do about it. We can't fix it. The offense has been done. It's so complicated, there's no way to unsort it. And in that moment, you know what Scripture teaches us, right? Forgive. Now, this has been taught wrongly for so many times because forgive means to forget. No, it does not. You can't find that anywhere within Scripture. Forgive means that you say it doesn't matter anymore. No, that isn't true. Forgiveness is releasing. If Sister Wendy and I have caused offense to one another, forgiveness is when I choose Because I love her more than I do anything wrong that has gone on between us. When she chooses because she loves me more than any wrong that has gone on, we choose to release one another. Not from the guilt of whatever wrong we may or may not have done, but we release one another to a higher power, to one who knows the heart, to one who knows the intent, to one who knows everything. And we release that person to that God's justice, to that God's mercy, to that God's kindness, to his decision. I don't forget the hurt that I've experienced, and neither does she. But we value one another enough that we release the person to God. So now how do you forgive God? 
I hope somebody's listening to me today. Because if you do, it will be hard, but you will never have to lose your love for your Savior if you learn what I'm teaching you today. I didn't say it will feel good. I didn't say it will be comfortable. I didn't say you'll like it, but you can do this. You're literally going to release God to himself. Your offense is with him. Why didn't you step in? Today we're talking about death. We're talking about the death of Sister Iris. We're talking about the death of Sister Delia. But let's fill in something else that you're offended by. I can think of a lot of areas where I would be quite offended with God. The only way you can do this is that you make a basic choice to believe that God is and that he's good. Hebrews puts it this way. You can't please God unless you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, this doesn't feel like reward. I know. So you take the offense. See, we can't talk about never being offended with God. This is what's wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for being this, this, this strong and this bold, but I'm telling you, this is what's wrong. We do not give ourselves permission to be angry or to be upset or to be disappointed or to be depressed or to be hurt by the actions of God who we do not understand. In fact, rarely do we understand. Why would he save me? I don't know how to understand that either. Why would he forgive me? I don't understand that either. But it's for my benefit. And so like Job, are we going to receive the things we don't understand because they're to our benefit and we won't receive the things that we don't understand that aren't for our benefit? No, Rennie's allowed to be upset with God right now. We're allowed to be upset with God right now. We're allowed to be disturbed. We're allowed to have questions. We're allowed to talk to him. And I would encourage you in your prayer life, please, please, please don't hide from God. When you're angry with him about something, talk to him about it. When you're upset about something, talk to him about it. When you're depressed about something that he could have changed and he hasn't done it, talk to him about it. Just don't stop talking to him about it. But in the end, if you don't release it, it stays inside of you and destroys you. Because I can't give you an answer. You can't study the scriptures hard enough. We can't analyze this well enough to come up with an explanation as to why somebody so integral to the kingdom, so valuable to us, and God, such a short time where she was in joy. Why? There's no way to answer this. And anyone who claims that they can is a liar. Only God can tell us everything. And right now, he's silent. So my offense with God I either allow it to destroy my relationship with him and in turn to destroy me 
as bitterness eats at me. For I choose to believe that he's good. And though I don't understand, I release him to his own judgment, to his own righteousness, to his own justice. I forgive God. If you've been paying attention, I haven't really cited a scripture yet, have I? I want to take you to two. The Apostle Paul is talking about a different topic than this. So I want to be honest with you. He's talking about a a different topic than what we're looking at today. He's dealing with the complexity of how God is saving the Jewish people and grafting in the Gentiles and the complexity of this and how we can't even hardly understand the mystery of salvation. Romans chapter 11, he says, Have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Stay back, Candace, one more. If Delia were speaking to us today, in fact, it irritated me how much. She would say it at random. She would just say, thank you. I mean, the things that I'm like, why are you Who are you thanking? But the goodness of God did not fail her, and she knew that it had not failed her. And so she just constantly kept saying, thank you. Another one she would say is, I'm just so appreciative. I'm just so appreciative. So I'm not here to tell you not to be angry or to be depressed or any of that, but I am here to tell you that if I know Delia at all, she would rebuke us. She would roll her eyes at us. If we allow this mystery of God, this thing that we're never going to figure out, to separate us, from the God that she loved with all of her heart, her mind, and her soul. I can hear Sister Iris in her wisdom, her elder age, saying similar kinds of words to us, like, Pastor Steve, you've got to not do that. We don't understand, but God is good. We don't have an explanation, but God is faithful. I can hear Brother Penn right next to her going, that's right. I can hear him, young man, you do a good job, but don't lose, don't lose your step. Don't fall down. Paul goes on, he says, is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice. Everything comes from him. 
everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. That's the backdrop for a verse of scripture that I give to you today that we all know pretty well. Romans 12, verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Both of these sisters that we now grieve this week did exactly that. They did not understand all that life brought them. They did not understand all that they experienced. And can I say to you and to myself, we don't understand all that God is doing. But with our ordinary, everyday, walking around, sleeping and eating life, thing we can do is embrace what God is doing. Caleb, if you would come, I'm going to want Amazing Grace. It's one of the few songs I can sing and sound halfway decent. It's also got a good message. On Friday morning, after traveling for two days back to back. Elia and her Bible study partners almost canceled their 10 a.m. Bible study. From October, when we first came back, October or fall of 2021 until the present, four days a week, Leila, Joyce, and Dahlia would get on Zoom, I'm assuming, and because they have learned from a crazy preacher who believes in a lot of translations, they'd all read different translations. And they'd read through the Bible. And now, oh my goodness, I can't tell you how many phone calls I would get from these crazy women with their new revelations. As they dug into the Word and they found things and they saw things and it was exciting. They told me they almost canceled because it had been a long day, it had been a long week. Frankly, Lil and Daly might have seen enough of each other for the week. I know Joyce and Dahlia would get into it at times because Dahlia would get in her business or Joyce would get into hers. That's how we do Christianity, folks. It's called provoking one another unto love and good works. It's uncomfortable. That's why I use Sister Wendy because she and I are always getting up in our, each other's grill. You're not really being a Christian if you're not. You're supposed to be in one another's business, not being judgy, not being cruel, but walking life together, hurting together, rejoicing together, questioning together.
Well, they went ahead and did the Bible study. And in our conversations, I said something, and Lil says, oh my goodness, Steve, we got stuck on this one passage of Scripture. you got to read it. And when I read it, I said, okay, I know exactly how to end the sermon on Sunday. The beginning of book three, if you will, in the book of Psalms, chapter 73. This is what they read. This is what they studied. The day that she passed. No doubt about it. God is good. Good to good people. Good to the good hearted. But I nearly missed it. Missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way. I was looking up to the people. People at the top. As envying the wicked who have made it. Who have nothing to worry about. Not a care in the whole wide world. Pretentious with arrogance. They wear the latest fashions in violence. Pampered and overfed. Decked out in silk bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They're full of hot air, loud mouths, disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store? The wicked get by with everything. They haven't made piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I'd have given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. Until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I saw the whole picture. The slippery road you put them on with a final crash in a ditch of delusions. In the blink of an eye, disaster, a blind curve in the dark and nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes, nothing. There's nothing to them. And there never was. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who left you are falling apart. Deserters they'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world, what you do.
So today, whether you sat here and wondered why did the preacher take the whole service to talk about death, would you trust me? You've done it before. Would you trust me that the lesson I taught you today, you will need it one point in life? There's going to come a point when your foot nearly slips. There's going to come a point when you don't understand what he's up to. There's going to come a point when you're not aware of what's going on. And you're going to struggle to understand. Why are you rewarding the wicked? And why are you punishing the righteous? And why aren't you taking care of me this way? Or why are you delaying this? Get into his presence. And release him to his own justice. Release him to his own goodness. And forgive the Almighty. And choose him over understanding. Choose him over explanation. Because there will come a point when you'll enter his presence whether in this life or in the life to come. There'll come a point when you enter his presence and then you'll understand. As the psalmist said, then the whole picture will unfold and suddenly you will understand what he was doing because God is good all the time. He does not fail us. He is faithful and he is righteous and he is just. And he does all things well. But you can't get there. You don't even reach that level of vulnerability and trust with Him until He allows the unthinkable to happen. And you choose to forgive Him. Oh, I could go one by one as I've walked with each of you. Point to things in your lives, some of them private that I shouldn't say out loud, and some of them public. And you go, why, God? Why, 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 why? But I've come to the sanctuary of the Lord, which, by the way, is not just this building, but it's into His presence. I've come to the sanctuary of the Lord. I've come into the presence of the Lord. And you all did it so beautifully before. You lifted your hands to Him and you loved Him. You worshipped Him despite all the pain. You worshipped Him despite all the suffering. You worshipped Him. You said, God, we love You. God, we adore You. God, we choose You. So today I challenge you, and maybe it's not real hard for you today, and others of you, it's hurting really bad right now. Embrace the sorrow. Don't run from it. Let it course through you. And then, at that appropriate moment, release Him. Forgive Him for not having done what you know He was capable of doing. Because you choose to believe that in His goodness, somehow, loss is in His overarching plan, gain. This is why the Apostle Paul said, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. You ever heard that verse and thought that just was all about, well, we'll see him again? That doesn't do us any good right now. It still hurts just as bad. The fact that I have hope of seeing Sister Daly again doesn't help that right now I will never see her again. 
doesn't help Leela and Joyce that they will never do a Zoom Bible study with her again. I'll never have her walk up to me and call me pastor and let me look at her and go, well, I'm one of your pastors. And she would just shake her head so mad. Because in everything she was excited about, there was one thing she was not excited about. She didn't want me going. Well, you kind of got your wish, you goofy woman. I'm still your pastor. It's allowed to hurt. But then in the end, I forgive God. And I choose to believe He's good. Would you stand? The only way you can do this is by the help of God. Did you hear that in Paul's statement? Give your everyday life by the grace of God, by the help of God. The only way we're going to be able to do this is if God helps us. I don't know if this is the best song, but right now I want us together because there's something powerful about songs. I read you a song. You know what a psalm is. It's a psalm. Sometimes a song is the best way to pray. Did you know that almost all of Jesus' prayers are based out of the psalms? His words on the cross come out of the psalms. So I can't think of a better place to turn than the grace of God and say, Jesus, we need your amazing grace right now. I know I preached about death today. I know I preached about Iris and Dahlia today. But I also want you to understand that this applies to other pains and hurts. Some of you might have something that God brought to your mind this morning and says, Hey, you've been holding on to this. You've been holding this grudge against me. And it's okay. I'm your daddy. I love you. I'm not mad at you. But the only way for there to be healing is for you to release me to my own justice. Release me to my own goodness. Ask him to help you right now. So all together, help me out with this. And Caleb, you got to kind of give me a, let me know where I'm at. Am I, when I'm at the point where I'm ready to go. All right, I'm on. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
to him and love him right now. God, I love you this morning. I choose, oh God, that you are good. I choose, oh God, that you are good. I release you to your own goodness and mercy and justice and righteousness. I forgive you, God, for that which I do not understand. And I love you and I worship you with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. Do not leave me alone, oh God. Walk with me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
speaking of when he said oh that I might know him and the power of his resurrection he can do anything oh that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering that I may be conformed image of his son that he can do everything he needs to do within me that will lead to me being put back to what I have always meant been meant to be I like his power but I gotta marry it to the suffering Trust those of you that are in the deepest pain in this season, whether online or in person. That have pointed you in the right direction of what, of what your process is, what your journey is. And those of you that maybe it doesn't make as much sense to you right now, I, I challenge you, please store it up in your heart. I promise you there's coming a day where this word can come back to you and it can support you and you'll have greater understanding of how to apply it. I love you all. We grieve together. This week we're going to grieve together. We're going to walk in grief. But he's going to walk with us. His grace is going to be sufficient for us. He will not leave us or forsake us. He'll be with us always.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. I receive your word, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I receive your word, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. God bless you all. Be responsive to us as we get information about both of our sister's deaths and what we're doing with that. We will let you know. We'll communicate, email, text. We'll keep you posted. Please be responsive as you can in helping us as we care for the family and all that's happening. God bless you. Have a good Sunday afternoon. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.